Hello, everyone. We are back from our festive break. How have you been, gentlemen? All good. Happy New Year to everyone. I'm glad I'm back. Sorry I missed a couple of episodes, but it needs class sometimes. Right. It's nice to be back. Nice to see you all again. How are you, Jamie? I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Very similar to you, Oliver. I Sorry I missed a bunch of things. I've been kind of busy, uh, but I'm glad I'm back for now. <laughs> For now, Happy New Year. Indeed, we are back. So let's introduce ourselves once more to some new listeners. I am Ian McAllister. I'm Oliver Kinner. And I'm Jamie Adams. And this is Brainwaves episode 135, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 15th of January, 2024. Hasbro delivers their workforce a terrible Christmas. Wizards backtracks on AI adverts. And Tabletop Mentorship Programme becomes unpublished. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Throughout last year, we reported on the very healthy financial numbers that Wizards of the Coast kept posting for their parent company, Hasbro. Over the course of the year, they were one of the only parts of the company that kept making money. Well, the reward for that success was revealed in the run-up to Christmas, and it was the loss of many, many jobs. Merry Christmas! Hasbro had already cut 800 jobs earlier in the year. CEO Chris Cox said in an email to staff, While we are confident in the future of Hasbro, the current environment demands that we do more, even if these choices are some of the hardest we have to make. In an internal memo given to newspapers, he went on to say, We entered 2023 expecting a year of change, including significant updates to our leadership team, structure and scope of operations. We anticipated the first three quarters to be challenging, particularly in toys where the market is coming off historic, pandemic-driven highs. While we have made some important progress across our organisation, the headwinds we saw through the first nine months of the year have continued into holiday and are likely to persist into 2024. The job losses were not limited to the toys area of the company as many high-profile Magic the Gathering and Dungeons & Dragons team members publicly confirmed they were no longer working for the company. Dicebreaker posted that game designer Dan Dillon had been let go and senior development editor Ethan Bernstein also lost their job. The latter contributed to several major D&D books including the upcoming Vecna Eve of Evil. Director of Studio Operations for D&D Digital Wendy Despan and D&D Beyond host Amy Dallin confirmed they were also laid off. One of the oddest job losses was of Megan Galbraith Donahue, who had led the Universes Beyond creative and production teams. These products saw Magic Gathering bring in franchises like Warhammer 40k, Doctor Who and Lord of the Rings to the game. These were hugely popular, especially the Lord of the Rings tie-in. Although he had lost a lot of goodwill from the community in recent years, Mike Merles was also laid off. Merles was part of the team that made the current edition, 5th edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Reports from computer game company Larian Studios said that all the staff at Wizards of the Coast that they liaised with while making Baldur's Gate 3 were now gone. Baldur's Gate 3 was game of the year for many sites and has been hugely successful. And if you'd like to know how much Chris Cox took home in 2022, he took home $9.4 million. And as far as we're aware, he's a base salary of $1.3 million, though that information is from 2022, so it might be more now. We are linking to the Guardian UK article about this, as other sources we looked at were all behind paywalls. Oh. Yeah. Perfect timing, isn't it? Just do it yeah, Christmas. in the month of Christmas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's my it's my understanding that quite a lot of especially US based companies do this in the run up to Christmas to make their quarters look good for shareholders basically. And yeah, I mean it's, it's yeah, sure, sure it's all about horrible. 
yeah. I totally disagree with that, but that's my understanding is why these kind of things happen around this t- kind of period. There's been a few, quite a few tech companies laying off staff at the moment as well, partly because of the, the massive pandemic highs those those companies were were riding. That that excuse it kind of baffles me. Like, do no none of these companies do projections? Do none of them think that maybe this gigantic peak they're on might have a trough somewhere down the line and maybe forewarn some of their staff somehow that hey, the good times are not going to last forever. You might want to look for other work before just like summarily axing them. No, because that would assume that uh, the company is fallible. And surely in this thing, they are not fallible. They are, dare we say, infallible. And profit is going to continue to rise and rise and rise no matter what. And then this happens. Well, that's the thing. It's for shareholders that don't want just profit to be level, but they want to have an increase in profit. So not just do they get more money every year, but they get more, more money every year. And then, as you say, it, it's in the US, it's different as well. It's easier, I think, to let people go. Whereas in the UK, similar sort yeah, of things, is. there was would be a longer process. So, yeah, it's just managing their books, uh, sorry, messaging their books, should I say, managing the figures, making themselves look good, um, pleasing all the shareholders. And it's just awful. It's just awful behavior. Look, I, part of me really doesn't want us to cover very much about Hasbro on this podcast. Just the way they've been treating staff in the last year. I mean, it's been terrible for a while, but it's just even more egregious now. Unfortunately, that does mean cutting out a large quantity of what we cover, especially regarding Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. And they're a huge company that has massive impact on the industry, so they need yes. they need talked so, about covered and this kind of thing needs talked about and exposed. If we don't it, talk about it then they can true. keep doing it. But I, I, I am going to try and I'm going to put to you now in this recording and if the listeners are listening, uh, probably only do the very salient stuff about Hasbro. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's all salient, really, because <laughs> they're a huge, huge player in the in the industry. I mean, it does feel like they're doing their utmost to make everyone hate them. Uh, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons New Edition, or whatever you want to call it, is coming out next year. Uh, but will the player base care by the time it comes out? Will they? Will, yes. Will there actually be a? Will there actually be a backlash? Will they actually lose sales? No. I'd like, this is I'd Ma- like to Magic the so, Gathering but, and Dungeons and Dragons. No. Yeah, I'd like to think so, but yeah, the answer is probably no. Well, but uh, sticking with Hasbro and their subsidiaries for a moment, Jamie. Oh, you give me the best stories, Ian. A recent advertising campaign by Wizards of the Coast for Magic the Gathering was accused of being AI-generated. The image was posted to the official Magic the Gathering account on Twitter on January the 4th. Initially, Wizards of the Coast denied the claim, saying it was created by humans and not AI. However, after fans spotted some oddness in the art, for example, a gauge having nonsense text on it, wizards were forced to issue the following statement on January the 7th. Well, we made a mistake earlier when we said that a marketing image we posted was not created using AI. As you, our diligent community, pointed out, it looks like some AI components that are now popping up in industry standard tools like Photoshop crept into our marketing creative, even if a human did the work to create the overall image. While the art came from a vendor, it's on us to make sure that we're living up to our promise to support the amazing human ingenuity that makes magic great. We already made clear that we require artists, writers and creatives contributing to the magic TCG to refrain from using AI generative tools to create final magic products. Now we're evaluating how we work with vendors on creative beyond our products, like these marketing images, to make sure that we are living up to those values. Wizards of the Coast stirred up a lot of problems for itself over the last year with regards to art and the AI generated thereof. In August 2023, art from Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants, a Dungeons and Dragons supplement, was found to have been AI generated. 
Wizards issued a statement saying they had parted ways with that artist and would source alternate art in reprints of the book. Later in the year, they found out one of their artists on Magic the Gathering had effectively plagiarised another artist's work by heavily referencing, basically painting over, a piece. They also had to bat away criticism of one of the covers for the forthcoming edition of the game that was accused of being AI art, but wasn't. The community's obviously on edge about this, and D&D Beyond, the online portal for all things officially Dungeons & Dragons, issued a statement on the matter on December the 19th, 2023. For 50 years, D&D has been built on the innovation, ingenuity and hard work of talented people who sculpt a beautiful, creative game. That isn't changing. Our internal guidelines remain the same with regards to artificial intelligence tools. We require artists, writers and creatives contributing to the D&D TTRPG to refrain from using AI generative tools to create final D&D products. We work with some of the most talented artists and creatives in the world, and we believe those people are what make D&D great. I mean, it's, the, the whole AI thing is, is difficult, and, and Photoshop being mentioned here is quite interesting because Adobe, I think, does say that all their AI tools have been trained on uh artwork that they own so not publicly well i say publicly available copyrighted work like you know all the other tools browsing the internet and you know taking stuff that's actually copyrighted so but it is it is difficult i mean i, I don't know as i said before it is going to be hard for any company to conclusively prove whether something was ai art or wasn't ai art but it's just yeah it's going to be harder yeah. now. They've fired so many people. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's. I mean, it's, the... it's, it's going to get especially hard when there are like AI generative tools built into these programs now, like yes, and things like that. I mean, what? Where do you draw the line on that? Is going to be a really interesting debate and argument over the time, especially if those tools, like there's some lawsuits coming in the states for some of the mid journeys and things like that, and those kind of tools. Um, yeah. It's going to be really, really tricky as these tools get better, as they do basically daily, to spot the stuff. Like, like right now, it's it's good but not great. Yeah, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep getting better and better and harder and harder. I mean, even if it starts learning off AI art, it's you know the AI starts learning off AI art, and therefore the overall quality yeah. is slowly going to degrade. Yeah. I say slowly depends on the iterative yeah. fate time, I suppose. Still, yeah. Hmm. Right, moving away. Let's let's talk about something else that is not Hasbro or Wizards of the Coast or yeah, nothing. Oliver, have you got have you got a story for us? I I've, I think I've got some more positive news. Nice. Uh, nice. Supporting people who are creative, actual people. The Tabletop Mentorship Program has been running for a good few years now. The organization aims to arrange mentorship by tabletop industry professionals for folk looking to get into the industry or just expand their skill set. Now, Ian has participated in the Tabletop Mentorship Program both as a mentor and mentee and enjoyed the experience both times. I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit more later. Well, now the program is getting a boost by becoming part of the Unpublished Game Network, often referred to as Unpub. Unpub was founded in 2010 by John Moller, and is a place to find out about playtesting events, network with artists, designers, publishers, and others in the tabletop game design community, and generally support folk in creating new games. Michael Belsol and Grace Kendall, the creators of the Tabletop Mentorship Program, said this about the collaboration. We are thrilled that the Tabletop Mentorship Program is joining Unpub. The program was growing at an incredible pace, and it became difficult for us to steward by ourselves. With Unpub's support and leadership, 
TMP can flourish to help more and more designers, publishers, artists, and anyone else working in tabletop games. Unpub was a huge part of both of our design journeys, and we couldn't be happier to be able to contribute to strengthening their already fantastic organisation. Now, Michael and Grace had done an immense amount of work over the last few years, and they had posted a few times about the strain of continuing the programme. This partnership with Unpub will see the programme become a regular part of the Unpub calendar. Heather O'Neill, Managing Director of Unpub, said, We talked about their issues and how Unpub could help. We had been looking to add a mentorship component to Unpub, so it made sense to partner up. The mentorship programme ran online for a few weeks each year. It will stay the same, but Unpub will help expand the offering, including mentorship throughout the year, some in-person events, and a dedicated board at Unpub to organise the programme. The first mentorship programme under the Unpub umbrella will happen sometime mid-2024, and we will let you know when that begins. Now, yeah, it's great to see Michael and Grace's work being taken further, and a name like Unpub being behind them. And I know not a huge amount about Unpub, but it sounds like that's a lot of designers certainly talking on social media and always looking forward to the event, and, and generally the sort of creatives, I want to call them, in our industry, in our hobby always you know being in favor of it so it sounds like this is going to be a good sort of marriage made in heaven if that's if that's a good term quite probably uh, yeah should be i I, th- I think in this we pass over to ian who's just going to tell us not everything but like his experience with the tabletop mentorship program i think that's just yeah because yes as you said oliver um, ian you've done it as mentor and mentee and part of that was for this podcast wasn't it yeah, first one, then the other. Uh, I was mentor first, um, and the, my mentee was Adam from Punchboard. Uh, so I was doing like sort of writing advice and like criticism advice, that kind of thing. And Adam, Adam's gone on to do a lot of really cool work at Punchboard. Do go and check out the site. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and that, that was a really interesting experience. Basically, it's it's not like it's not high pressure. You sort of like meet up with your mentee. You like agree some goals. Um, and you sort of work on that over a sort of 12-week program. Uh, Adam and I did quite a bit more than what was required. So it's, it's, actually, it's quite a light requirement, quite a lot of it. And I've done it as a mentee as well. Uh, from Chris, uh, I got some help from, from Chris, Chris Anderson, Anderson who, don't, yeah. who does a lot of um, work in sort of like tabletop gaming and podcasting and that kind of thing. And he, yeah, that, that was really, really useful. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris Anderson, uh, I was doing something similar for the board game workshop that he ran, or board game yeah. workshop design contest, whatever it was called at the time. Yeah. And I was a judge and then also become a mentor for, for one of the people. And it turned out I actually was mentoring Sean Newman, um, who we're going to mention oh. later as a Patreon supporter. So oh, it's, cool. just, it's just nice to be able to be involved in this sort of work at that sort of level and, and help each other out and yeah, so it's great to see that they're doing this, and it's great. It's actually obviously so popular that they need to look for support. So, yeah, well done. And some of you might be wondering, what's Jamie done for it? I've done nothing. But Jamie does have our first update of the year. That's right. On to the updates and the rest of the news. Before we went on our break over Christmas, we'd reported on two New York game cafes reaching their decision to form unions. Both Hex and Counters and Uncommons had formed unions a month or two ago. In the run-up to Christmas, a third cafe, the Brooklyn Strategist, joined them. All three of these cafes are owned by the same people, owners who have been accused of union-busting tactics to try and ensure that these organisations did not form. 
The unionisation efforts of the Brooklyn Strategist and Hex Encounters are in collaboration with Workers United NYNJ, a joint board of Workers United. Workers United are the representative of Starbucks Workers United, which has led to 360 Starbucks stores across the United States forming unions. Now, at the time of writing, none of the unions formed by these organisations have been formally recognised by their owners. Here's hoping that changes because it is brilliant to see the unionization efforts keep on going, the union train keep on chugging, and people going, no, we're not taking this anymore. We want collective bargaining. We want support. We want all the backup. We want all that. And especially, as we said earlier, in the US, it's it's so nice to get some protection for the workers who ultimately make the company the money. So, Yeah, but they're not entitled to it, are they? No, no. Or indeed fair working practices. Staying with America, sort of. Yes, it's our first awards news of 2024, and we're looking at a new one to us. The wait, 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 hold, hold on. Awards news, this is my dig. Oh, no, wait, yeah. it doesn't matter anymore. I've, I've my, my award stuff's been cast off anyway. On you go, Ian, on you go. New year, new year, new you. Just nickel my awards so stuff. I appreciate the vote of confidence. So this award, the Summit Award, is given out annually by the San Diego Historical Games Convention, or SD HIST. In a recent press release, they explained the award and announced the winner for 2023. The San Diego Historical Games Convention, SD HIST, is proud to announce the winner of the second annual Summit Award. The Summit Award aims to recognize a historical board game published in the preceding year that most broadened the hobby through the ease of teaching, ease of play, uniqueness of topic, novelty of approach, and or effectiveness as a historical game. The 2023 Summit Award winner for games published in 2022 is Votes for Women. Votes for Women, designed by Tori Brown, is published by Ford Circle Games. It features art and graphic design from Brigitte Indelicato and Mark Rodrigue, and development from Kevin Bertram. Dr. Rachel Michelle Gunter served as historical advisor and Kimberly Himmer served as copy editor. Now, the other finalists for the award were Fire and Stone, Siege of Vienna, 1683, designed by Robert Daleski and published by Capstone Games. John Company, 2nd Edition, designed by Cole Worley and published by Whirligig Games. And Stonewall Uprising, designed by Taylor Shush and published by Catastrophe Games. Much like the Zenobia Award, which aims to help diversify the designers and topics that war games traditionally cover, the Summit Award is designed to do the same. From the page announcing the award. The mission of SDHist is to create a diverse and supportive gaming community dedicated to playing, discussing, designing and promoting historically based board games. Through this commitment, SDHist seeks to serve both the existing historical board game community as well as grow it through the addition of new voices and perspectives. Now, we aren't done with this particular game just yet. It was recently reported by the site Board Game Wire that despite the success of the game and its positive critical reception, Fort Circle Games is having trouble advertising the game on Facebook. Kevin Bertram, founder of Fort Circle Games, told Board Game Wire that a series of adverts have been rejected by Facebook because they feature... Sensitive social issues. Which... Could influence how people vote and may impact the outcome of an election or pending legislation. This came just as the campaign for the second print run of the game was live on Kickstarter. Kevin told Board Game Wire, The campaign is a modest success. We should finish at about $120,000. 
but we're missing out on a huge potential audience, and this may cost us as much as $60,000 in funds raised. Most Kickstarter creators will tell you that Facebook advertising is a crucial piece of the crowdfunding puzzle. A woman's right to vote is not a sensitive social issue. It is established law in fact. A board game about historical events from over a century ago is unlikely to impact the outcome of an election or pending legislation. Now, Tory Brown, the designer of the game, said... The struggle for equal representation and a political voice was at the heart of the suffrage movement. If you're concerned about the outsized role that huge corporations like Meta now play in who gets to be heard, consider joining or supporting an organization like the American Economic Liberties Project, Public Citizen, or the Open Markets Institute. Uh, We'll put a link to all those organizations in the show notes. Now, listeners should be aware that Kevin Bertram, the head honcho of Fort Circle Games, is a patron of this cast and site, and both Kevin and Tori are members of the Giant Brain Discord. Now, I've played quite a bit of Votes for Women in preparation for a review. Kevin very nicely sent me a review copy of the game last year before he became a, a patron. It's also available to play on the excellent Rally of the Troops website for free, which we do recommend, or certainly I recommend. I've been playing a little bit on there. It's a great site for... It's not got a lot of games on there. They're all historical war games, but the implementation is very good. Oliver Oliver has also been playing yeah. a, a fair bit of Votes for Women. Yeah, I've been playing it on Rally of the Troops and can just second what you just said. Uh, there's John Company on there that we mentioned earlier in this article. So, yeah, I really uh, want to try John Company on there. Or is it Pax Premier? I think that might no, be it's on, Pax Premier. I there. think Pax, Pax Premier yeah. is definitely on there. I'm not sure yeah. about John Company second. But yeah, so it's a great site. Definitely worth uh, trying. So you can't get a physical copy, even though, as we said, Kickstarter. Um, you know, the, you know, the advert thing is absolutely baffling. Um, isn't art meant to influence people? Isn't that kind of the point? No. Especially <laughs> how how dare people remember that women can get a vote and yeah, have political representation? Games, <laughs> apart from all those other war games, they're also political, like Twilight Struggle. I don't want my games to teach me about politics. I just want to do ones about the Battle of Austerlitz and and the Siege of Vienna and <laughs> yeah and and the Cold War. Do- that's, there's no politics in there. Not. Or Watergate. To be honest, I don't think Meta thinks worries about that at all, whether there's politics in board games or not. I think, just to balance it slightly, I think they had problems in the past being accused of, you know, influencing the US vote and all that. Yeah, that's true. Supporting Trump. So uh, they're potentially a bit overprotective. So I get why they're blocking things. But it sort of goes back to what we obviously all know about Twitter that obviously dealing with these ads and deciding whether it should be blocked or not shouldn't be automated and feels like a lot of these are just completely automated. So something like this, which is quite a sensitive topic, you'd think there should be a bit more human uh, interference, if you like, and and the decision-making, and it doesn't feel like that's what's happened here. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully, um, I I think, did, did I see somewhere on social media that one of the ads was in the end approved without any changes? So... Hopefully these ads have now gone through. That'd be good. I haven't seen Hopefully. that. Hopefully. Yeah, that'd be good. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the algorithm, the almighty algorithm saw the word votes yeah. and women and went, oh no, we can't, ha- we can't have that. Uh, Jamie, you're our Warhammer 40k correspondent. So what have you got for us? Somehow, yeah, um, I've got some um, orcs that I've been painting and um, a league of, oh, sorry, um, if you are a fan of grim dystopian futures, then hang on to your Ceramite and Plascrete helmets. Amazon has secured global rights to Warhammer 40,000 television shows. 
Last year, it was announced that Games Workshop had attached Mr. Henry Cavill, that's right, Kal-El, Superman, Geralt of Rivia. Now, he's attached to a series set in the grim, dark future of the 40,000 setting. But at the time, no company had bought the rights to produce and distribute the series. On the 16th of December, 2023, Games Workshop announced the deal with Amazon Studios in a press release. The release says the deal will cover films, TV series, and more. And it's worth noting that Amazon does have a computer games studio simply called Amazon Games. Head of Amazon Studios, Jennifer Sulk, said, Warhammer 40,000 has captured the imagination of fans of all ages from all walks of life and all over the world. We are excited to work with Henry, Vertigo Entertainment and Games Workshop across our Amazon Entertainment business on this brilliant, immersive franchise for our global customers to experience for years to come. Henry Cavill became famous over the lockdown years for appearing on Instagram, pursuing his nerdier side, painting miniatures, primarily Adeptus Custodes, and putting together gaming PCs. He's always been an unashamed advocate for the hobby. He said of the deal, I've loved Warhammer since I was a boy, making this moment truly special for me. The opportunity to shepherd the cinematic universe from its inception is quite the honour and the responsibility. I couldn't be more grateful for all the hard work put in by Vertigo, Amazon and Games Workshop to make this happen. One step closer to making an eye-on lifelong dream come true. Cavill will not only star in the series, but also act as executive producer. Now there's dedication for you if you're producing the show as well as starring in it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, uh... Well, no. executive producer, what's that really mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, know, some, yeah. I think it means you get some extra money, basically. And not really very you, you get a chair with your name on? Oh, no, that's acting, isn't it? Oh. I, there's, it's one of those things that happens to, t- always. to American TV not series always. a lot in like later seasons. A lot of the time, uh, like actors yeah. become executive producers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, fans or people who have listened to Brainwaves for a wee while know a year or two ago there was a whole, let's say, stushy about people, you know, Games Workshop clapping back against a lot of, let's say, far-right people who were talking about how much they admired Warhammer 40,000, and in particular, Space Marines. Yeah. Space Marines. Space they made them, you know, for a long time, they were made, you could still say to this day, Games Workshop has made the Space Marines into a thing to be worshipped and admired and, oh, they're so cool. And they were always meant to be monsters. Yeah, they were meant to be a sort of fascistic parody. That was that was how they were intended yes. in the early days of the game. My initial thought was, is the TV series A, going to focus on Space Marines? And if so, that's really boring, in my personal opinion, because they're most of them have the personality of a log. But Warhammer 40,000 was founded and set up and originally created with Rogue Trader as, you know, a satire of, of a lot of that, you know, um, uber macho, uber masculine science fiction. And is the series going to, you think, include that in the background, maybe? My personal thought is no. No way. Because it's not cool. Yeah. And they, yeah, like we said, they've drifted it towards like Space Marines being like heroic and like, to be fair, they've been doing that for a yeah. long time. So it's, it's going to, and then they and then they find it we and they find it weird when people talk about you know, oh how much they admire Black Templars or Death Corps of Krieg, and it's the aesthetic. And you go, hang on a sec, guys, is yeah, sorry, I'm I'm gonna shut up because this gets my goat. It's fine. I've got some more dark news to follow up with. Indeed, back to the AIR. Yes. Oh, jeez, Louise. Scottish RPG company Nightfall Games has recently discovered that some of the art in their forthcoming Terminator 2 book for the Terminator RPG has some AI art in it. 
Jared Earle, who we interviewed on the site last year, realized that some of the art they had recently commissioned bore some telltale signs of AI art generation. The company ran it and other pieces by the artists in question through an AI identifier and many came back as a 99% match to something generated by Midjourney, an AI generative art program. They consulted with illustrator friends of the company and came to the inescapable conclusion that they had paid for AI-generated art. Nightfall Games have updated backers on the situation and it is unknown at this time how these issues will affect the delivery of the game that kickstarted back in 2021. Nightfall Games said in that update, It matters because AI art is theft. It creates art from a massive, massive portfolio of art and images that have been created by real people. It then splurges out poor mockeries of these arts without any consideration of the artists and can be done by any Tom, Dick or Harry. We do not want to cheat artists. We are artists. We don't want to cheat you, our backers and customers. We are a small company who focus on good and original art and pay well for it. We find this situation abhorrent, upsetting and depressing. Well, I think what we said earlier in the other story sort of applies here as well. And I think adding to the update, I want to say it's also copyrighted work. People always think that just because it's on the internet, it's not copyrighted. No, just because I publish a photo of my work or a scan or something means you can now use it. No, it's still copyrighted. I don't even have to say that. I know different legislation and, and all that might be differing, but in general, that's how it works. So, No, Oliver, you shouldn't have to say no. it. But unfortunately, you have to. That's what I was saying earlier. It's like this was caught after the fact, after being put in the books. And these are guys who have been doing it for a long time. Jared has been doing making RPGs since the mid 80s. So these guys have got a lot of experience looking at like art for books. And they're starting to get not fools, but they've caught it in the end, but they caught it very late in the process. And it's just, it's just going, it's just going to get better and better. And then what do you do? It is a real problem. I'm not saying that AI art is good and we should ignore it, but there is a question to be had there as what happens next. No, and that's that's the thing. It's it's a real problem, and it, again, depending on how you stand on the topic, but it's it's nice to see that Nightfall Games call it AI art as theft, and I completely back that. It's it's nice for them to say exactly that rather than sort of try and pussyfoot around it and try and excuse it and say, oh, we can't do anything. But yeah, as you say, it's getting better, and even people who know what they're looking at obviously miss miss the obvious so well i'm sorry not miss the obvious miss what isn't obvious speaking of stealing though there's another rather horrible story ian yes publisher wonderbow had a recent successful kickstarter for their game kelp now this is a two-player asymmetric game with an ocean wildlife theme they posted to their website recently to warn people of the existence of counterfeit copies of the game these games are coming from sites like Amazon, eBay, and Fugo, another marketplace-style site. Kelp is not expected to reach backers until October 2024. The publisher has this plea to people in the press release. If you bought Kelp from an unofficial source, other than Kickstarter or our pledge manager, you will receive a fake copy or no copy at all. Counterfeits compromise quality, gameplay, may have parts missing and often lack essential legal info. If you come across a counterfeit copy... Kind report it to the platform where you found it or made the purchase. Feel free to link to this blog post as evidence. 
Now, the company has pictures of a counterfeit copy of the game they obtained with poor card quality and matte quality, as well as a Lego shark as part of the components. Right, we've reported on counterfeit games for quite a few years now, and it's just not going away. But I, this is the first one I can think of, at least in my mind, which isn't great, of a game that is just being kickstarted and then copies I mean, are popping if you, up. If you're buying that game, I mean, do you not know that it's only just been kickstarted if you're looking for that particular game? You must know that's fake, <laughs> surely. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, no, but Ian, Ian. So you're thinking about this as someone who is au fait with board gaming. Yeah, I guess if you're just buying a game. What for if someone, you're someone who is yeah. like, I'm buying a game for someone. This game is about a shark and an octopus. I like sharks and octopuses. Yeah. Ooh, I'll buy this, sure. and then you 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 get it, and it's rubbish quality, and you go, well, that's kind of you know that's bad. And only later do you then realise, oh, this game is not out, not only not out yet, it's only just been uh, crowdfunded, and as such, what I'm getting is basically rips from yeah, yeah, the Kickstarter campaign, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, I get that. I was just going to say something similar, like you know, if, if you're not you know as close to the hobby as we are, then you might not know. At the same time, something like Kelp, if it is on these sites, would you really find it unless you're in the hobby? So. I'm sort of halfway True. in between you, Ian, and Jamie. I think it, I can see both sides. And ultimately, it's, it's these sides that need to do something about it. And I think, was it Stronghold Games or some other company um, who had major problems? And, and then Amazon was saying, oh, well, you can have your games certified, la di da, and basically making them do the work rather than as the platform selling these things, doing the hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. just, it's a big mess. And yeah, we need more protection. We're at war, Oliver. Pick a side. <laughs> no, I don't do sides. Fair, Fair enough. Fair enough. Steamforged Games, the UK publisher of board games based on computer game intellectual properties, including Horizon Zero Dawn, Dark Souls, and Resident Evil, just announced a collaboration with European publishers Lucky Duck Games. The deal will see Lucky Duck localizing Steamforged Games for different regions of the world in their local languages. Toby Davis, commercial director at Steamforged, said, As two leading games publishers come together in this exclusive partnership, we're excited to bring iconic titles like the Gears of War card game, Sea of Thieves, Voyage of Legends, and Medici to New Horizons. This collaboration represents our commitment to delivering immersive gaming experiences to captivate and engage players worldwide through the brilliant teams both at Lucky Duck and here at Steamforged Games. Well, it does look like it's going to be good for both companies, I'll tell you that. Yep. Lucky Duck gets the benefit of the IPs. Steamforge gets their games more accessible. Absolutely. Anyway, Oliver, on to a story which we didn't think we'd be covering again. Yeah, and I don't know whether that was the story, but here we go. It seems we can't start the new year off without a good scandal, and it is the turn once more of chess to bring the strange. However, we are not talking about chess as we know it. This time we are looking at the world of Chinese chess, Shang-Chi. This game has been popular for hundreds of years and there's a thriving competitive scene. Now, back in 2023, we covered a lot of controversy in the chess scene as accusations flew between then-world champion Magnus Carlsen and a rival Hans Niemann. Cheating allegations abounded and at one point it got so odd that Niemann was accused of using anal beads to receive signals that allowed him to cheat. We thought that was the last time we would say anal beads on this cast, but it was not to be so. 48-year-old Yan Changlong beat all comers to win the title of Shang-Chi King in a national tournament hosted by the National Association for the Game. 
However, the title was soon stripped from him as he was caught disrupting public order and displaying extremely bad character. The association said, Jan consumed alcohol with others in his room on the night of the 17th. And then he defecated in the bathtub of the room he was staying in on the 18th, in an act that damaged hotel property, violated public order and good morals, had a negative impact on the competition and the event of Shang-Chi, and was of extremely bad character. The association was also forced to deny that Yan had used anal beads equipped with wireless transmitters to send and receive signals. The allegation surfaced on the social media site Weibo. The association said of these allegations, Based on our understanding of the situation, it is currently impossible to prove that Yan engaged in cheating via anal beads as speculated on social media. Yan likely lost out on thousands of dollars in prize money, though the final amount was not disclosed by the association. Now, thank you very much for letting me read this story. Uh, I love saying <laughs> your anal turn. beads. Yeah, <laughs> someone has to it's say all it. Right. As someone who started a a Tabletop News podcast way back in the day, I didn't think I'd have to write anal beads or defecating in a bathtub quite as much as I have. (laughs) And I didn't think I'm going to have to read it. Well, there you go. Them's the breaks. How do you read anal beads? I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) uh, For that, tune into my other... Sorry, what? (laughs) Do not tune into that cast. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. It is with much sadness that we bring you the news of three important people who passed away over the 2023 festive period. Bernard Tuller, the honorary chairman of the Spielersjahrs jury and a doctor of literature and media studies, passed away on 18th of December 2023 at the age of 87 in Marburg, Germany. He dedicated his life to board games with the goal that they would be recognised as culturally significant. As he said himself, he always wanted to arouse interest and joy in playing. His focus was on encouraging people to engage in a shared activity that would connect them beyond everyday boundaries such as gender, age, social class and background. During his career, he reviewed board games for a number of popular German newspapers and magazines including Die Zeit, Frankfurter Rundschau and the Oberhessische Presse. His reviews were not simply repeating rules and ticking boxes, instead they were a dialogue with the people who were playing the games. As he said himself, when one sees the type of games that make people want to play them, they are games with spirit, games with a certain depth, in short, playful games. He will be truly missed. Wonderful moving sentiments there. Um, we then also sad to announce the death of Brian Charles Ansel, who died on the 30th of December. Brian was a person who formed Citadel Miniatures with Ian Livingston and Steve Jackson and would eventually go on to become managing director of the company. To some controversy at the time, Ansel shifted the focus of Games Workshop away from RPGs towards being more focused on miniatures and the Warhammer line of products. He initiated a management buyout of the company in December 1991 and refocused on Warhammer Fantasy Battle and Warhammer 40,000. And finally, tabletop designer General Jaquay, who was involved with the early days of Dungeons & Dragons at TSR, has passed away at the age of 67. She was best known for her work with TSR and other D&D publishers, and her best known work was The Dark Tower and Caverns of Thracia. 
She had gone to work on items like Dragon Mountain Adventure in D&D 1993 box set and has worked for Chaosium, published with Call of Cthulhu, and several video game publishers. She helped convert some cabinet games like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong to their console versions and worked for id while it developed the game Quake. Her work on Dark Tower would garner nominations from Dungeon Magazine in the list of the 30 greatest non-TSR published D&D adventures. She also accrued several nominations for the H.G. Wells Award, a short story competition. She was inducted into the Gamma Hall of Fame in 2017. Thoughts of the Brainwaves team are with all the loved ones of those who have passed at this difficult time. Moving very swiftly through our jobs, opportunities and events section. Of course, there is a Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash tabletop jobs. Good place to have a look there. Submissions for the Cardboard Edison Awards 2024 have opened on January the 1st. Cardboard Edison Awards recognize great unpublished board games. And uh, the submissions close on the 31st of January. And I believe, Oliver, you have one of uh, either last year or two years ago's winners, Diatoms or Diatoms, uh, yeah. arrived with you today, yeah, didn't diatoms, it? Diatoms, I think it's, it's has the Kickstarter probably finished now. I've got a prototype copy for review been in touch with the designer it's it's lovely to be part of this again seeing like the prototype copy it makes it all very special and i can't wait to play it it looks really exciting i read the real book so yeah again cardboard edison awards amazing award so keep an eye out and if you want to get into the industry of designing games give it a go why not yeah the site's very useful if you're a new pub, a new designer or publisher there's lots of information on there and we interviewed the winner of the award last year we'll put a link to that cast in the show notes And we'd just like to take a little moment to give a shout out to our Patreons. Thank you so much for supporting us through 2023. We're going to continue to bring you lots of content in 2024, especially to our executive producers, Kevin Bertram from Fort Circle Games, James Naylor from Naylor Games, and Sean Newman from the Gamelot team, our executive producers. Thank you so much for continuing to support us at our level. There's loads of other ways to support us. You can join the Patreon from $1 a month, and there's links to a bunch of other sort of promos that we have that give us a little bit of money in the show notes. But Jamie, it's time for the first Monopoly of News of the Year, and it is a knockout. I think you get a shuffle on, shouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. Yes, now, I was about to, I was about to ask you two, what's the one game that Monopoly has not been combined with? Russian roulette. Uh, billiards? Billiards. But, no, I'm, I'm sure they're all done. I'm sure the answer you were all looking for was, of course, shuffleboard. That's right. Now, we have Monopoly Knockout. This game has individuals or teams of four. Slide tokens down a three-foot board to land on properties or to knock opponents into opposing properties or jail spaces. And at the end of a round, money is collected or paid depending on where your pieces have landed. The game on the box boasts an over three foot long board and plays in 20 minutes with two to eight players. Now, according to Wikipedia, <clears throat> don't use us to get all the references and research from. Use other things, you numpty. Oh. Uh, but what I did find out was Shuffleboard was first referenced back in Tudor England as being played by King Henry VIII for stakes of some kind. Well, heads on stake. Well, is it? I was going to ask. Hey, excellent. <laughs> high, high excellent. Stakes, <laughs> yeah. That is an, a quite weird collaboration there. Quite weird ma- mashup of games. Monopoly and Shuffleboard. Uh, yeah, it's kind of 
sh- shuffleboard kind of uh, yeah i have not played it me neither as far as i'm aware shuffleboard is only played on cruises in agatha christie prior mysteries i think so and i think ian's and i might suggest and probably weren't that far away actually you know whether it's russian roulette and billiards you know now shuffleboard hey yeah, I know. And, you know, sh- shuffle, it looks like curling, except it's on uh, a flat ground instead of an ice rink. Well, it's on a big, a yeah, um, cruise ship. So, you know. You push biscuits down the thing with tangs. There you go. Oh. Shuffleboard knowledge. <laughs> there we go. Gain from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, for goodness sake. Anyway, anyway thanks very right, much for let's listening. Let's get out of here. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on your favorite podcast platform. Um, I don't know what it is these days. Is it Spotify? Is it iTunes? Well, Spotify. It's in my Apple Podcasts. Who, who knows? <laughs> and you can follow me on, uh, on the website, tabletopgamesblog.com. Please join our Discord, Discord, Discord even. There's a invite link at the bottom of the show, show description, show notes. You can find us on Blue Sky. Yep. It's probably the Giant Brain, is it? Uh, yeah, just search, search Giant Brain, we're on there. Okay. Um, Instagram, Giant Brain UK, Facebook, as we talked about, the Giant Brain, and the website, probably most importantly, giantbrain.co.uk. And if you have any news stories you want to share, Go to the Discord, that's where it's probably the best place. Or you can email us if you want to. We always take everything in confidence as well. So anonymity is guaranteed. Email us at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. Thanks very much for listening. See you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Have a good 2024, everybody. Happy New Year. Bye.